This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we've got Ross. Ross is a slightly different tact from some of our usual guests that he's not a full-time health and safety professional, but he is a successful business owner. And one of the unique selling points of his business is the focus on health and safety. So Ross, if you want to just come in and do a short introduction. How are you doing, Blair? Thanks very much for inviting us on. So my name is Ross Brown. I'm one of the managing directors at iScaf Access Solutions. We're a specialist access and scaffolding company based over in Fife. Um, established in 2016, so we're coming into you know, nearly nearly six years old now. So growing the business and uh, trying to get the name out there and changing the perception of scaffold and access industry. Brilliant, thanks, Ross. So if we just go back to the beginning, then tell us a little bit about your early life, where you grew up. Uh, early life, I'm, I'm from East Seaside Village in Fife called Kingham. Um, nice, quiet wee place. And uh, early life, I finished high school and uh, at the days you could leave when you were 15 and a half as long as you had an apprenticeship to go to. And uh, my first mm-hmm. was actually, well, I managed to land a wee number with Arnold Clark as an apprentice mechanic. And uh, right. all I ever wanted to do, muck about with cars, so that, that was it. But <clears throat> two years in, started to just maybe lose a wee bit of interest in it and um, well, you know what it's like when you're getting a wee bit older, you're more interested in money and all that sort of stuff. And uh, when you're an apprentice, it doesn't seem to come quick enough. So my old man, he's been uh, in the industrial sector, worked at Grangemouth. He's just recently left to come and work for myself. But he was in Grangemouth for about 30 years there working for a, a multinational scaffolding access company. So um, about two years into my apprenticeship, he came back to the house one day and just says, look, if you're not happy, and get you a start on Monday morning, labouring. Um, but if you chuck it, you're in, and you're no dipping a shift, and the first dip, shift, shift, dip, you're, you're out in your arse and you're back again. So that was that was it. For then on, that was me uh, labouring to scaffolders and insulators for Hertel Services over in the BP oil refinery in Grangemouth, and that's just where it's progressed for there on. You know, at so Grangemouth is quite a unique environment to work in as well with petrochemical plant, especially at a, a young age. A bit of a baptism of fire getting in there. As I definitely, I mean, you, you go there and to be fair, actually, I would probably say it's part of the succession of how we've employed a lot of the stuff that you get ingrained into you for that young age. You know, you're, you're 18 year old, yep. you're going in there and somebody's flashing a permit in front of your face and you're going, what's this? I've never signed a document in my life, you know, and you're in there all of a sudden and you've got all these rules and regulations to follow. But as we've moved on in business, right, what I've realised now is it's, 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 good, it's good having all this instilled in you, right, because working to, working in black and white, you can't deviate. That's what I always used to, you know, back then it was a noose around your neck when you were trying to get the job done and you had all this, but now transitioning into a business owner, business owner, the stuff that I learned back then at 18 years old is really a lot of it was still, we're still putting into the business, you know, the way we move forward with stuff now. So it was a learning curve, an interesting place, but, you know, dri- driving there and back with your old man every day for five five years I worked at, uh, in Grangemouth, ended up transitioning for a labourer into an apprentice scaffolder. And mm-hmm. my five years was finished, I was qualified. So, um, you know, a bit of a drive, 40, 40 odd mile there in the morning, 40 odd mile there uh, back every night. And, you know, doing long hours, seven, twelve, and your old man dragging you to your bed at five in the morning to get to work because he was the old school type of guy that was always at his work an hour before he needed to be. And, yeah. and if I didn't like it, take your own car, is what he said to you. And, you know, 18 year old, 25 quid a week petrol money was better than putting 50 quid in your own car, you know what I mean? So, I it was one of the things, but I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. I met a lot of good, a lot of good guys, a lot of good mentors. Um, mm-hmm. that, that I've actually come as, as years have gone on now I've, I've bumped back into them again you know it's, so it's you met, met a lot of good guys in the industry they're travelling men and good environment to learn the ropes in 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were in Grangeboy for five years then, Ross. Where did you move on to from there? After Grangemouth um, kind of came to an end, I moved on to a, a demolition job at Fountain Bridge Brewery in Edinburgh when it was getting demolished. Yeah. It was um, the same, same company, Hertel, but then after a wee while there, like, we got, the work dried up and we got, got pined off and it was the first time I was kind of, you know, looking for a job as a scaffolder after that. So ended up in the Bifab shipyard in Fife. Mm-hmm. Another interesting place to work, you know, a lot of heavy industry, a lot of heavy industry, totally another different take on the petrochemical stuff, you know, we didn't have so much of the permits and I wouldn't say that the health and safety was lacking in the place, you know, but there was a lot of heavy machinery, a lot of heavy equipment getting lifted around in the place, a lot of moving parts and, you know, I was still relatively young guy, uh, only really working in Grangemouth and that, which is, you know, it's a high risk place, but there's not a lot of craneage and you know, overhead stuff getting moved around the place, you know, they're building accommodation modules for rigs and um, top sides and stuff like that, so um, another different heavy noise, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, ended up in a couple of years, and then um, after that I moved on to Mossmore and Gas Plant, which is just really local to my house, a shell refinery. Um, I think I was relatively young still, maybe 24. 25 years old or something like that, 24, and uh, ended up in there for a, a year and a half or something like that, and then I got offered my first overseas job. Yeah. Got off, was, I was really wanting to start progressing, and I kind of knew for a young age I wanted to progress, you know, I, never, I was actually, I kind of found myself as, although I was a decent hand at the scaffolding, I was more in tune to, you know, the, reading the drawings and organising the materials, I was quite in tune to that part, probably more than the the right the technical ability of the scaffolding. So I knew straight away that career progression was I was one thing I was quite interested in. Mm-hmm. So just done as a done, probably the first time I ever started to use LinkedIn actually. And uh, you start to see all these guys, it's the first time you open your eyes up to people actually, you know, oh, there's a scaffolding industry overseas and you're mm-hmm. looking at it. And I think I sent my email out. People actually asked me now how I got my first ever job because I was 24 years old. Uh, 24, uh, 24 or 25, landed my first job as a contract supervisor for SGB over in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. I used to say, how did you land that? You know, how did you land that? And I was like, well, what I've done is I went on the website, I copied and pasted every single branch across the world's email address, and I sent my CV out, and I pretty much, not a begging letter as much such, but a letter saying that, you know, this is where I am in my life and what I want to do. And one guy gave me a reply back, and uh, the interview process was really interesting, actually, because he Put the letter back, the email back for the guy at the time, and he says, "Look, um, I'm on annual leave now. I'm back in the UK. Can I interview you?" And I was like, "Oh, that'd be great. I really like an interview." So he says to me, "I'm going to be flying for Heathrow to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Such and such a date. Can you be there? I'll organise your flight." So they organised me a flight down, and we actually met in the business lounge. And he interviewed me in the lounge before he was getting on his flight to go out there. And it was bizarre. First time I'd ever really wore a suit or anything to a job interview because the scaffolding game, you just send your CV in and you send your tickets and all that sort of stuff. And then if your CV fits the criteria, you'll be able to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lance, Lance's doing <laughs> two seconds. There's son. Can you help me put this on? This is going to have to be ready to do it, you know. Because I'm... An occupational hazard you've heard there. I take it there's any plasters that you have to tape in the middle. Toilet won't be found in that. It's not toilet roll. Right. See you later. Close the door, please, mate. Brilliant. I'll go back to. Just come back to the business lounge and then go for there. So. So we met in the business lounge and it was the first time I've ever really wore a suit or anything like that to a job interview, you know, so I get, flies in, gets into this business lounge and I'm looking around the airport and I'm thinking, looking for a guy in a suit, you know what I mean? Looking around, looking around and this guy clocks me and he must have just looked at me and thought, there he's there straight away, you know, so next time I met the guy, quite an informal interview in a, a thin new industry, as a lot of times it's, 
you might be fit for the job, but if the guy likes you, he likes you. Do you know what I mean? So it goes with your your rapport that you strike up with the guy. So it's stuck up a good rapport with the guy, and he got on his flight. I got my on my flight back up to Edinburgh, and then um, I think about a week later, uh, I got an email and they offered me the position. So mm-hmm. I don't even know if this time I'd actually even asked the salary, really. But we were working in Moss Lawn and. Most morning, the shell and the scaffolding it's a blue book site. You're getting, you know, it's the necky agreement. The rates are really good. Local job, getting the overtime and stuff. So, actually, really took and accepted the job before I'd asked, really asked the full salary package because you're that keen to mm-hmm. get over there. So, um, don't get me wrong, it was a great learning experience, and but I never really knew that when you go to work in Saudi Arabia. You basically get given a, a national, a local contract, and the contract terms and conditions are basically exactly the same as if you would be working in the UK. You get thirty days holiday a year and two return flights. So it wasn't mm-hmm. that computing it going. I'm going to have to basically move there full time and come home at the weekend. And but I sat down with my partner at the time, and we, we no longer had a wee boy, and she was just like, "Look, if this is your career progression, and this is what you want to do." then we're just going to have to roll with it and see how it goes. And I used it as a good learning experience. It was, it was hard going. It was really, really hard going. You know, having a young family at home and stuff like that. And it's totally different cultural, you know, cultural difference and stuff. But don't get me wrong, SGB, good company, look, at, look after, you know, they don't become one of the biggest scaffolding companies in the world without being, you know, having a good workforce and looking after workforce. Really good accommodation really nice villa, swimming pool and everything like that. Really looked after you and it was new at first, you know. But then what happened? I was running it, I was running a couple of oil refineries out in a place called Yanbu, which was about three or four hundred kilometers away from where our head office was and all the other expat supervisors. So I was kind of, you know, stuck up there on my own. Um, and then after about eleven and a half months, I think it just took its toll on me and I just was like, you know what, coming at contract renewal this isn't for me, you know, I just basically just handed my notes in and kind of was saying, you know, I'm stuck up here on my own, looking for is there another place I can maybe get stuck with a wee bit more expats because I was kind of out there to learn the ropes for the construction mm-hmm. but that far away to everybody I felt like I was a wee bit out on my own and maybe a wee bit out in my depth as well at times but um, mm-hmm. you just kind of run with it and let it roll and, and see how you get on so um, I came back for there and luckily enough I fell, I fell back into a job with Kate again who I worked with in much morning and um, ended up offshore um, for a couple of years, maybe maybe two or three years offshore um, for Kate. Um, loved, loved offshore life, you know, everybody, you're, you're away from home again, it's shorter spells, but you know, the, the time off that you've got is, is really what everybody does it for. Yeah. Really good, um, really interesting scaffolding jobs, you know, the sort of stuff that everybody wants to be doing. Um, that, that was really good. Uh, Cape, Cape had a good, really, absolutely the first time actually my, my safety side of things started to come out because Cape were really heavy invested in this sort of mind safety, um, belief-based safety culture. I started getting involved in that and, and they put me on the courses to go away and become a, a belief-based safety coach. And we started to do a lot of the psychological stuff, which is when it took my um, my realization for it for it changed again. You know, it was just I was at one point I thought you know there's another avenue I can go down here. You know, get your supervision and management side, and then I thought there's a whole different side that I haven't even explored yet. Mm-hmm. My way and doing all the safety side of the stuff. Um, I think I must have must have done that for about three years. Uh, quite a big project on the Andrew. Loads of guys coming and going offshore, and all living on a hotel and really interesting stuff. And uh, but then that what happens is once you've been abroad, the bug starts to come back, you know, and you're, you're missing it, and you know you're sitting there starting to put the feelers out and what's going on. And I ended up um, emailing a, a scaffolding safety consultancy company called Simeon Risk Management, um, mm-hmm. really well known in the industry, working at eight specialists. Very well respected as well. Very specialist at what they do. And that was me, sort of, you know, there's a different avenue. So the whole training side of the thing as well, training and scaffolding health and safety started to come. So I'd um, emailed them before and they kind of said to us, look, you know, 
maybe a bit more experience and all that sort of stuff before you can, you know, we're looking at a senior sort of role. About um, maybe another six months passed and they got in touch from out of the blue and they said, look, we've got a job coming up in China. Would you be interested? And uh, they didn't have to ask me twice and I was already packing my bag. So the bags were packed and I'd handed my notice in with Kate when I was on the next flight over to China to, to take on a training role with them in a shipyard, which was... Fantastic experience. It's it's a phenomenal country. You know, it's the hustle and bustle of the place is is just unreal. You know, and what goes on in the shipyards over there. You think the scales, you know, a big sky scale of all shipyard in, in the UK, such as even Bifab where I worked. You know, I think there's maybe a thousand to twelve hundred guys on the job. And you go over there, and you're at the gate. You're in the bus in the gate in the morning, going into the shipyard, and there must be easy, you know, nine thousand. People mm-hmm. work in the morning, the scale is just completely different. So um, language barriers and we were training guys on traditional tube and fitting. So obviously one of the offshore clients had come in, they were getting a rig or a ship um, built in the yard. And part of their stipulation was that their guys had to be trained and competent in tube and fitting scaffold by a British scaffolding company. So somebody took on that role and... Um, I was lucky enough to land a job over there where, and they sent me over with a guy, um, an older lad who'd been working with them for a few years, really experienced guy. And he was sort of showing me the ropes with him. So really interesting job. Um, lasted, I think it lasted just under two months or something that was. So, you know, that was another thing. You've got the wife saying to you, you know, you're jumping to go to a job in China. How long are they offering you? You've, you've been offshore with the one company for the last three years. So as far as offshore goes, three years is a good stint. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're, you know, you're chucking it to go and chase your dream of being off working abroad again, but um, good progression. And what I noticed is as you start to do more and more of the overseas stuff, as you start applying for the job back here, you start getting the old, I, I don't know if you're maybe getting a wee bit overqualified for this role, or you might jump the next thing. You, so you're, you're teetering on this edge where every time you start to apply for jobs that, at home that you want, they're looking at your CV and they're seeing the fact that you've jumped abroad a few times. And I'm starting to think, ah, maybe, maybe he's not worth a bet, this guy. So um, after that, maybe I think I sat quiet maybe for a month or something like that. And then um, I got offered a job with Shell in Iraq. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was a good that was a good one, really good month on month, month on month off rotation, uh, business class flights um, via Dubai and you know, all that sort of stuff. And they, they really looked after you. And obviously, yeah. Unknown, you know, going to Iraq, never, mm-hmm. never a place you get the opportunity to visit unless you're either in the services or, um, yep. you know, in the oil and gas industry. So, yeah, I took on that role as a scaffolding superintendent with them, and um, it was myself. I had a back to back, and we had two scaffolding managers who uh, together we just looked after all the oil refineries in the whole of Basra. So, uh, mm-hmm. kind of overseeing the scaffolding subcontractors that were coming on the different plants working on behalf of Shell. So mm-hmm. yeah, really interesting role, you know, seeing all these contractors coming and going. They and, and it's the first time I've ever been in a position where I was basically the client. So the, yeah. the, the scaffolders are coming on, the scaffold subcontractors are coming on the site, they're working for me. So mm-hmm. I'm my standards in them. Um it was hard work, a lot of hard work because they're not exactly spoiled for choice in Iraq when it comes to scaffolding contractors. So, mm-hmm. you know, Shell will put a job out in the UK and you'll get one of the big five or six companies in the UK applying for that job in Iraq. They're getting it because they've got to let the local market end up fit. You know, you're, you're getting, literally you're getting somebody who started up a scaffolding company three months ago because they heard Shell might need one. Mm-hmm. And then they, they turn up in the morning with 40 guys on with brand new pairs of overalls and brand new harnesses and tool belts that haven't even been worn in. Telling you that the scaffolders and you know that they're all they're all grabbing one end of the tube for each other to do it. So um, and you've still got a turnaround to get over them. Mm-hmm. You've still got a shutdown to do. So there was a lot of hands-on. Um, there wasn't this wrapped in glory, thinking that you were just to walk about, you know, supervise everybody on that job. You were actually mucking in, building scaffolding with the subcontractors because it was either that or you weren't getting your job done. Um, mm-hmm. The journey after doing that for four years, you should have seen, you know, the, the scaffolding companies at the end of the, at the end of the, the four years that I, I worked there. 
um, some real good quality scaffolders at the end of it. Real guys just keen to, to work. You know, a lot of these guys are coming in, they've no, they've got no, a lot of options in life. And uh, mm -hmm. the oil refineries are their only lifeline, you know, and um, well, a lot, of, a lot of hard work and determination, you manage to turn these round and it's quite actually uh, quite rewarding seeing these guys coming in and making money and changing their, their lives and their families' lives. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously the oil and gas crunch came. And uh, yeah. quite a few people, I think it must have been around about uh, maybe 2015, 2000, uh, about late 2015, the sort of big oil and gas crunch came and quite a lot of people ended up unemployed in that, in that, um, that stint, you know, we got taken in and even before then you knew that the, the market was going bad, you were getting pay cuts and then your, your next contract agreement, you were going in and the, discussion, the discussions were changing, you know, and you were trying to get your rates cut and stuff like that. And it's high risk, but when the rates start to balance off what you were getting in the North Sea and you're nowhere in the bulletproof rest of your work every day, so you start, mm -hmm. you start to, you know, balance balance the, the scales and then you just decide that you're going to come home. But um, come home from there, from Iraq in 2000, late 2015 and probably had about maybe four months off my work just to you know, get back into the swing of family life and you know, catching up on stuff that you'd missed out. Um, yeah. And after that, it was just whereas you're applying for jobs all the time. Started applying for jobs in the market. Um, local jobs, you know, from supervisor and man, or, or, the, or the wee jobs that were going around and constantly going, you're sitting face to face with a guy in an interview and I think the guy in the interview is thinking that you're wanting his job, you know, and he's going, oh, where have you worked? And you're going, oh, I've been in Iraq, I've been doing this, blah, blah, blah. And you're actually having to spend the time around and eventually not being, you know, trying to bend them, but you're saying, look, I'm, I'm not really interested in your job, mate, and I'm not really interested in the overtime or anything like that either, you know, just Monday to Friday, just get back in the swing of things is all I'm interested in. You know, I'm just enjoying being back at home and I'm not wanting any stress and pressure, you know, uh, you know, looking after, sometimes we were looking after up to 300 different subcontracting scaffold companies across five, four sites. So it was quite, you know, juggling a lot of, a lot of parts. So struggled to get, struggled to get the jobs. Um, and I just thought after four months, I thought, Christ, I'm, Struggling a wee bit here after even having you know as much experience as I did in the, the market, even the oil and gas market here was quiet. And I've never been much about you know I, I've never I've never ever done it. Um, mm -hmm. Starting off working in, in Grangemouth and only ever moving to the shipyards and that oil and gas scaffolding is all I've ever really known. Mm -hmm. um, so it came to the thing was one of my best mates who's now my business partner, Big Davy, he. Um, his life was very much the same as mine. Me and Big Davey met at the same um, mechanical apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. the same scenario going about, about five months after I started, my old man got Davey a job. And mm -hmm. Davey was at Longanet Pearl Station and I was at Grangemouth. He was doing exactly the same as me and very much worked his way up the same as me. We ended up in Burnt Island Shipyard together. So although mm -hmm. we've never actually worked in a scaffolding gang with each other until we started the business, but we, 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 you know, we were best mates from sort of 16 years. Similar background, similar setup. Similar background and setup. And, you know, my, my old man introduced us both into the scaffolding game, you know. So uh, mm -hmm. he was working offshore and I was back. And, and at the same time as I got made redundant, he still kept his job. But what they used to do is they were two weeks on, two weeks off offshore. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, they were three weeks on, three weeks off. And mm -hmm didn't get the holiday entitlement anymore and the rates were getting dropped and all that sort of stuff. So there was me back home, you know, coming to the end of where my savings were starting to take a bit of a drive like here. And I'm like, I'm going to have to start getting my finger out here and maybe get a wee look and see what I'm going to have to do here. So mm -hmm. back on one of his leaves and I just said, do you know what? I've been looking at the market. I said, and we've got the big, we call them the big five or six, you know, your, your, your Belfing, your Salamises, your Hertel, Kate and all that, the big companies that do all the offshore stuff. And then, you know, there's like a McDonald's scaffolding that kind of fallen below that really well-known company, Finfermess, that do all the offshore mm -hmm. stuff, drilling platforms and that. But I found there was nobody really underneath them. So I said, to yeah. people, I said there's maybe a wee bit of gap in the market here, I says, especially with oil and gas prices plummeting. 
you know, maybe in all these little, little oil companies and gas companies and power companies, I'm mean, wanting to go for the big guys straight away. So, you know, I wonder if we could sort of fill. So this was straight away the goal was we knew what market we wanted to target. Starting up a new company and trying to get straight into that market is a completely different kettle of fish. And it never worked, it never worked like that. So we set the company up, going around the doors, um, just doing sort of salesman stuff, you know, going in the doors saying, look, we've called that nice graph access solutions. We think that we can offer you a turnkey service. So I was targeting all the, the sort of fabrication places in Aberdeen, Montrose, the wee ports, oil and gas ports, wee companies in Grangemouth. Mm-hmm. Still struggled to kind of get in. Then we started getting the, you know, local house building people coming and going, oh, do you know what? We'll phone you. And I'm like, I've never scaffolded a house. <laughs> I'd never, you know, I'd never ever done it before and scaffolding, scaffolding, right? But drapesing around building sites up, up to your knees and once just never really was appealed to us. But when you're trying to build a business and the market's suffering, you, you know, you're scaffolding if you have to really. So, started doing that sort of thing, invested in a pickup truck, got a wee yard, started doing wee bits and bobs. Dave was still working offshore at the time, so Dave was going back and doing his three weeks, and in his three weeks when he was offshore, I was trying to do a bit of business development, running around, but I think he only managed to do one more trip where he went back, and we were just far too busy. Um, mm-hmm. But a what we found is guys liked us. People we were going and meeting, they liked our attitude towards everything really, uh, the way, the way mm-hmm. the business, the way our drive was, you know, what we wanted to offer them and what we told them we could offer them. Um, so we ended up back, Dave never, Dave couldn't go back to his work, hand to hand his noticing. And it was kind mm-hmm. of, um, if you back yourself in a corner, you kind of know that you need to, you, you need to just go for it. You know, you've got, yep. you got everything like that balancing over your neck, so you, you need to make a, a good go at it. Um, so we started slowly building up a wee bit of clientele, local stuff, but we, we just always knew the, the mindset of where we were going to be. So um, when we come here, we were doing a bit of work for um phone us up one day and said, are you interested in doing work? The only thing is, it's away over on the West Coast. Scottish Water's building a new water treatment plant. No, I have no problem. We'll, we'll do it. We goes over there and first of all, it's the wee company started with the new work scope and we were doing the scaffolding for them, blah, blah, blah. And it was compared to what was getting done the other scaffolds on the site they were we were doing all the fancy stuff for these guys you know bridging beams mm-hmm. hanging it all off the building and you know a bit of specialist stuff and then um, one day this, this guy phoned and says you know Scottish Waters wanting to see you and I'm like oh, what, what? I'm on the phone to Big Dave he's through in Glasgow and I'm, we're working with a squad because by then we, we'd moved for three guys to six guys a massive jump you know for, for the three years and Phone in the phone to Dave because it was getting to the stage where I was kind of starting to come off the tools because the phone was getting too busy during the day and we're, you know, organising stuff. I phoned him, what's happened? What do you mean? I says, I've been called into Scottish Rockwaters, uh, the project office. Has anything happened? Nothing's happened. I don't know what it could be. Goes through the project office and uh, meeting with them all. And he just says, look, um, we had an independent scaffold inspector on site today. And I was just like, oh, what's, aye, what, what's, what, what's wrong? He said um, the quality of your stuff's really, really good. And uh, he gave the rest of the contractor 72 hours to dismantle everything on site. And uh, you have to replace it all. And I was looking around going, I didn't have the gear to do that. But it's the same thing when you're backed into the corner and you're all your yep. backed in the corner and you're like, right, so I phone Dave and go, Dave, have you got pictures of everything that was up? He says, aye, something it's doing, but I wondered what was happening, you know, I thought they'd finished the job. I said, no, we have to replace it all. So anyway, you're away measuring up the stuff and Dave's sending me a list and I'm on the phone to Generation and all the higher and sale companies and I'm like, look, I need to buy this gear and they're going. So I hung just at the time and we're like, at first, you know, big investment. And I was like, listen, you're, you're, so you're being a wee bit of a, you're, you're a fly guy at the time because you're phoning all your, your scaffold and sale people going, right, What's my credit limit? And they're going, oh, you're only, you've only been trading for six months. We'll give you 20 grand. Oh, I need more than that. I need more than that. All right, we can up it to 25. Right, so next thing you know, you've phoned all of them and you've got the same deal with them all, right? <laughs> so you're, you're leveraging them all off each other. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just the only thing you can do at the time and you're thinking, this is going to start us off. So yep. took, took the plunge, 
mixing different wagons, you know, Activo's wagons driving in, there's Generations wagons driving in and kind of looking at each other because, you know, you're maxing your credit limit up, up with every company that's going to give you a kit. Um, but it's a, the old salesman part, you need to sell your belief to the people that's going to sell you the kit as well, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So I think uh, we ended up being on that job for about nine months and uh, yep. ended up on the framework with Scottish Potter and uh, to this day we're still doing still doing their work covering the whole of Scotland. Um, a, lot of clients, a lot of different clients that we do work for also within Scottish Water because they're obviously going in and they need access in Sc Scottish Water and ABV and all the other companies are just going right well you know what we get with Icecalf go and contact them and that's um, six years on now and we're still doing work on a lot of Scottish Waters across the whole of Scotland. Um, a massive leap of faith and a bit of hard work there as well Ross to, to really pull that through that's that's excellent so talk to us a little bit about what made it unique what what was unique about your scaffolding and I'll tell you the thing that sparked my interest and, and got you on the show after that if you, you come in and tell us about your unique selling points right so it's not really a USP, but back in the day when we were scaffolding on the refineries, right, the, the German brand layer was just coming around. Really, really nice looking scaffold, right, for somebody who doesn't have a scaffolding background, it's, it's a nice scaffold to look at, right, it looks neat and tidy and square, and it's, it's um, really strong and versatile and all that sort of stuff, so me, me and Davey knew straight away this is what we were to invest in. Thing for, thing for a lot of companies, it's, it's quite expensive, right, you get what you pay for, it's, it's you know, a German cars sort of scenario as well, you know. So we always knew we were going to buy it. The fortunate thing was we invested in it for the very, very beginning. So because mm -hmm. I watched the market changing, you know, and you see when people are paying good money for a project, they want it to look good as well. Now that's the way that the market's changed. If you if you walk around even the big commercial jobs in London and Glasgow and Belfast and that now, right, you don't see a scabby scaffold anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody's wanting their next big project to look better than their next door neighbour's project. So everybody's willing to do that. So first and foremost, we were offering a bit of a distant diff at the time. People are cutting on it now and everybody's starting to follow suit and, you know, part it. And it's, it's only good for the industry right enough, but because the standards are obviously going up. Mm -hmm. And we were offering a bit of a different outlook. You know, people who were coming to us, projects were starting to look a bit different. Mm -hmm. Go back to the time when I worked offshore and with Kate and we were doing a lot of the mine safety stuff. So scaffolders are notoriously knuckle draggers. And it's been, you know, probably a lot of scaffolding industries overseen. It's people turn up on a site and the scaffolding appears and then it disappears. And you know, there's not I don't think a lot of people take time to look at the process in between, you know, hell of a lot of moving parts, which makes a hell of a lot of safety risks. Now working at heights at high risk as it is, but when you're manually handling all that equipment and everything as well. You're just, you know, you're adding loads of different factors, risk factors in. So, um, me, and, me and Dave's attitude to, to the health and safety side of things was more mindset than anything else. We've always been looking for guys to come and work with us and work for us that have got a similar mindset to us. Or, that, you know, we're not, we're not trying to completely change everybody else because you only really need one or two people to buy in in the group. And the rest falls mm -hmm. So what we were starting to do is probably offer people a bit of a different outlook. You know, normal scaffolders are coming in and, you know, I don't really know, maybe even a bit, a bit rough and tough and all that sort of stuff. But we were coming in with a more different approach, you know. You're starting to introduce 3D drawings and visualising their projects and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, bringing different design companies in where, um, you know, there's just different aspects. A lot of our projects as well, having a different angle, saving the client money by doing a different way, you know, because not always not always the scaffolding has to come from the ground all the way up, you know, we can cut this big portion out and just do a wee bit more engineering. And a lot of, change, yep. a lot of clients' mindset would be, ah, but we know that works. We don't know what you're proposing mm -hmm. works for us. So trust building, um, speaking of different... Speaking the right, you know, speaking the right language that, that they understand as well, but not overcomplicating things and you know, introducing the different safety aspect and trying to sail them into it, going, yes, we know that the original way that it was done worked, but 
this reduces the equipment, therefore it's reducing the manual handling, therefore reducing the risk. So, aye, it's been, it's been hard and it's took us, you know, that's six, six years we're going now and it's took us six years and we're still, by, by all means, we're, we're still not perfect. We're, we're still fine-tuning it and learning all the time, but a lot of our repeat business has come back because, you know, the way, we, the way we're operating and the way we're just, it's a, a lot of people keep saying it's a breath of fresh air, a breath of fresh air. So I don't, I don't know what they mean by it, but I just take it on as a good thing because... For any of the safety professionals that will watch or listen to this podcast that deal with scaffolders, one of the biggest bugbears in industry is temporary works. Getting that design, getting that focus on, we can demonstrate that the temporary works are right for this project. And I knew from seeing some of the stuff that you put out on social media, on like your LinkedIn channel and all the other kind of social media that you update over the time, that you were one of the first companies that I had heard of in Scotland that were doing the 3D drones and doing the temporary works designs, just the standard, that's just how we do things around here. So that was the reason that I asked you to come on the podcast because I was massively impressed with that. Aye. I mean, the te temporary works is it's, it's a, a really, really difficult animal to understand. You know, it's almost a specialisation in its own. Um, the hardest thing for, for, for me, and, me and probably Dave as well is you're transitioning from a scaffolder to a business owner. And now, you know, you wear many a hat and... As the business grows even further, actually, you're actually trying to wear less hats because the business grows that fast and that big now that you actually need to have a person in every position because you just can't do it all yourself. So, mm -hmm. um, and I've kind of took it on, I've kind of took it on, on myself to be the temporary works coordinator. So I went away and done the course, you know, and you, you think you know quite a lot about scaffolding. But then you go and do the course in temporary works and it's a whole different realm because it's more than just scaffolding. You know, when you're talking about form work, folks works, all this sort of stuff and then um, the clients start to throw their procedures in the more clients you deal with the more procedures they've got so although we're yeah. up to the same British standard you've got a procedure so you know Scottish Waters temporary works procedures different than Bear Scotland's and Bear Scotland's is different than network rails and then when you start to get into all that sort of stuff it's almost a full-time job being the temporary works coordinator and going from that initial design brief taking it processing it liaison with your design engineers and then you know you're getting frustrated at times because you're sitting talking to a guy who is a temporary works coordinator but doesn't have a massive scaffolding background whereas he might he might be excellent with form work and then you sometimes you know you're introducing another system they've maybe got logic experience with cup lock and shooting fitting or mm -hmm. another system and then you're you're throwing layer in the mix you're going to oh, be a layer company this is what we do and it's like you know uh, you wind your frustration back sometimes, um, mm -hmm. but we've we've found ourselves that the systems that we've put in place now by uh, we've we've written our own applications. Um, we do all our digital handover certificates, all of our um, PDF drawings and information and temporary works information gets uploaded within that document. It's all done in a SharePoint. The, the client's got access to it. We're now uh, mm -hmm. we're now GPS mapping all our inspectors. So. We know where they are, and, and you know it's timestamped and dated. It's and, and all this integrated together is what's starting to, to you know get us a bit of a good name for ourselves. When all these um, you know, companies like Bear Scotland and Network Rail and that, and they know now that when they come to iScaf, they're going to have. Um, you're, you're trying to make their job easier as well. Mm -hmm. You know they're sitting in their office all day dealing with, with dealing with five or six different projects and dealing with different companies. But they seem to know now that when they come to us, we've got like a streamlined process that we go through and all your, your ducks are lined up, you know, to try and make sure that you get that permit signed off at the end, at the end of the job. Um, yeah. Time is money at the end of the day as well. That's it, that's it. So if we move on then, Ross, that's excellent. Thanks for sharing that with us. What's been your biggest challenge relating to health and safety and forming up your business or even across your career? Um, mindset is what we've been working a lot really hard on. You know, scaffolders, it's, um, they, they can do their job without thinking about it. They're working at the part and they're building the scaffolding part for them, it's, it's natural. 
but it's habitual, you could almost say. You know, if you do enough stuff over and over and over again, it becomes a habit. But what you need to do is weed out the bad habits. So, and this is what we are doing now is, you know, we've actually probably had, with the business actually, we've probably had more about, you know, just general conduct rather than general safety issues on site. You know, the guys are always, um, you know, the harnesses and everything like that. It's got, you've got to now make it become second nature. And they're risking yep. the job and stuff like that, you know. So I would say for us that the best challenge is getting the guys to come on the same wavelength as you. And even, you know, the guys, you see the difference between the new guys and the guys that have been with you a few years now. And what you're just hoping that you've done enough work with the guys that have been with you for years now to make sure that they do the work for you. And, that, you know, we, we try to create this this culture. Yeah. So we're still just, you need to keep on at, at it all the time. And you're just... Um, you know, keep, keep going on, keep repeating yourself all the time so that, that like I said before, it becomes a habit. Um, working in the Middle East, completely different. The guys' life values in the Middle East are slightly different than us. Mm-hmm. You, um, you've got ethics involved in it. Whereas, um, you know, one, one of the things that reminded me about it is we were, we were building a plant in North Romelia and a massive spool pipe getting put right through the plant and one of, the, one of the guys of a pipe for our scaffolders walking along this pipe, you know, nine metres up in the air, as he scaffolded you, he's walking from flange to flange. Like, come down, speak to the guy, you know, comes in, he's like, what's the problem? He thought, I'm in a safe oil refinery here. I've not got any hazards because when I'm walking about my village up in, um, you know, wherever it was he came from, up past Baghdad or, um, you know, all the area where ISIS and that's running about, he's fearing for his life every day. But his opinion is when he's in that shell refinery with all the security guards and everything like that, he's completely safe. Nothing can happen to him. So it was the whole mindset thing where, you know, it's a different animal, whereas your scaffold in the UK, you didn't have, you know, you don't have to have these worries about you when you're out and about. Whereas this guy worrying about stuff like that when he was out in his home, but then when he was in work, I'm, I'm all right, I'm no, you know, no watching for any of that sort of stuff, but the, the, the thought of him falling off the pipe never even crossed his mind. Yeah. yeah. That's different um, different ethnics and backgrounds that are affecting the safety on the job. It is, yeah. it's different here. So um, I would say I would say mindset changing is probably the most the, the one that's the most difficult one to keep on talking all the time. Thanks for that, Ross. So moving on then, what's coming in the future? What's next for IceGaff? Well, um, we've because my because of our overseas back background as well. Um, we've got another partner, and we uh, two thousand and oh, how long ago was that? Actually, twenty one. Two thousand eighteen, two thousand eighteen or nineteen, we opened our office in Dubai, mm-hmm. and um, we're specialising in consultancy work. So, what that one of our clients over there was Total. And we looked after other offshore oil and gas platforms. So we supervised all of their scaffolding operations, similar to the shell scenario. We we had an interface in between the client and the subcontractor, total army scaffolding specialists. So they employed us to take care of our scaffolding operations for them. So we had um, a squad of guys offshore, back to back, four weeks on, four weeks off, sorry, um, doing all that sort of thing. Uh, that was headed off by one of your um, directors in the Dubai business, Luke Stewart, who was actually my boss in Iraq. And, uh, you know, we came together and decided that when you when see my staff doing quite well and, you know, in the UK, do you want to come over and meet with me in Dubai? And we'll, we'll talk about how we can move forward. And uh, we, we opened our company, um, Icecaf International, mm-hmm. and uh, opened a wee office there. And then that was running quite successfully. We were we were doing the guys offshore with Total. We ended up landing a contract with Saudi Aramco's drilling decision, Aramco Rowan, and that was out of Saudi Arabia. So we had two guys offshore in Saudi Arabia going around all the, the platforms doing independent inspections and audits. So mm-hmm. really more focusing on the safety and consultancy and training side over there. Um, and then obviously coronavirus came along. So and we were struggling to get the guys when the guys came out on the leave we couldn't get them back in the country again and um, mm-hmm. you know, 
Whereas even even more so now, Dubai's uh, travel regul uh, restrictions have been a bit more tighter than they were before. So yeah, they've had to kind of just pull everything back there, and put it on the back burner, um, and we'll, we'll see what happens when the uh, when COVID passes away. You know, but we formed some good relationships and we, we, we kept that going. Um, so we'll be looking to try and get that to gain speed again. Um, and then just last year, um, April last year, I was over in Sri Lanka mm -hmm. um, looking at the possibility and uh, we ended up, we've, we've formed a company and we've bought a bit of land over there in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. We've done a year, a year's worth of market research. Um, the oil and gas industry is quite buoyant over there, you know, this shipbuilding is going to be quite good for us. Um, so we've um, bought a bit of land and we are trying to build a, a yard over there. So we're going to be doing scaffolding contracting, exactly the same business model as we've got here. But we're going to be um, employing and training up local Sri Lankans and head off with British supervision. Brilliant. Um, and, and try and, you know, get a bit of a, a market over there. So we've got a, one of our business directors over there, Shiam, he's, he's a Sri Lankan national, so he's involved in the business. Um, he's been doing a lot of business development over there and we're, we're starting to, every week we've got Zoom calls, you know, we've got new clients coming on board and it's just the, getting over there, you know, COVID's put a bit of a stop on everything apart from the UK business really, but um, that's that's the kind of thing we're moving forward with but now we're just trying to trying to keep what we're doing in the UK running and um, looking at potentially opening another branch in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, just to facilitate, we, we, we cover the whole of Scotland, it's, you know, isn't it the biggest country out there, but geographically, you know, you've got, we, we've got squads working in, in Inverness, you know, up in the islands and islands, um, mm -hmm. squads even as far down as Liverpool last week, we're doing a couple of projects for one of our clients. So, <laughs> Um, getting to see if now is the right time in the market to, to go for it or not. But, you know, we've kind of been starting to, the overseas stuff was put on the back burner, slowly starting to come back again. Excellent, excellent. And what advice would you give to someone starting out that maybe wants to start up a company today, Ross? Um, I would say, get, get, sit, sit down and define your goal of where you actually want to be. Stick to it because I would say that was the whole balance of why we've been quite successful and lucky to be as successful as we have. Me and Dave sat down, we had this goal from the very beginning of the exact clientele that we wanted to be targeting, and mm -hmm. it's hard not to deviate from it when you're getting offered this job and you want to go and do that job. And you're actually the business builder and you want to take it, take it, take it. But actually, when you sit there, and we're lucky enough now, we've got a um, We've got a full-time accountant that works for us in the office, the bean counter, Judith. So she um, will sit there, right, and, and she will cross-crunch the job and she will just say, it's not worth doing that job. Whereas before, I would never look at that. I would go, how can it not be worth doing it? You know, because this is me, I'm, I'm still a scaffolder transitioning into a business owner. Whereas, you know, she's always been a numbers lady. So she'll sit there and go, mm -hmm. that costs you that much, that costs you that much, and your job's worth that much, that blah, blah, blah. it's not working. And you're going, I know, but sure, you know, you're getting past this thing where you go, but it's revenue, it's revenue, and it's, it's not the right kind of revenue, is what everybody comes to say. So we've stuck our guns and we've narrowed down the market that we're targeting and the work that we want to do, and we've really, really stuck to it. And six years on now, it's starting to pay dividends. At first, we've, we thought we have to take on all these jobs, you have to take on every job that get, comes in the door. But then what we've found out now, and I'm not saying that you're, you know, you're picking and choosing everyone, unless it suits, you know, you're snubbing everything. But our strategic plan of where we wanted to get in the industries that we wanted to be in has probably been one of the key markets. So that's what I would say anybody wanting to start now, is just pick your targets, the market that you want to go for. It may feel hard in the first year or two trying to, to stick to that goal and not swallow up mm -hmm. when it comes through, comes through the phone line. Um, stick to it and then it starts to pay off dividends in the end now because we've really got a good clientele and we're, we're picking up a lot of work that we really want to specialise in and um, we've, we've had some real good success up at Fintorn 
Um, I, I picked up your Scotland Transport Scotland job through one of your clients. Um, came up with some clever, you know, not massive scaffolds. It would have been massive if we never done it in our, our system and, um, you know, designed some, you know, different ways to do to, to approach it. Um, but, you know, that's the thing that's been given as a recognition, a different approach, a different design techniques, you know, mm -hmm. reducing the manual handling, reducing the tonnage of the materials on the bridge. Um, and, and we're, you know, that's the market we're wanting to become specialists in, bridge access, um, offshore oil and gas, um, Port, ports, city services, marine services, you know, that in, in the rail industry. And um, that's just really where we want to be in the, in the market. Excellent, excellent. And how do people reach out to you if they want to get in touch with you then, Ross, if they want to get iSCAF onto their sites? How do they get a hold of you? Well, we're really big on marketing with the company. So myself, Dave, uh, a lot of our supervision and management is on LinkedIn. You can get us on there. Um, we've got our website www.i-scaf.com and um, if anybody wants to send uh, through emails just email info at i-scaf.com and you can get a hold of us there but a lot of information on the website links to the different services that we provide our social media which is quite worth a follow um, we're working quite hard we've got a couple of things lined up in the pipeline for social media that we're going to try and get off the, off the go a bit, different, a bit of a different aspect um, so we, we had a chat offline about that as well, and you've got a really good, interesting idea as to how you're going to do that. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about it, Ross? Yeah, aye. It's, it might sound a wee bit... It's a bit off-key, but there's, there's so many moving parts within a scaffolding business. And we just think that a lot of people don't see enough of what goes on behind the scenes, so we're, we're going to have a wee bit of a behind-the-scenes um, thing for our YouTube channel. So we're just going to have somebody following us around for a couple of days, a wee bit insighted from, from the moment the phone call comes in to the design process, to the materials in the yard, to watching the yard staff, the way that they segregate quality control materials and, you know, just a gold rush style, you know, episode um, where hopefully a hell of a lot less breakdowns than what they seem to get on the show. That's the plan anyway. I'm really looking forward to seeing that as well, Ross. I think that's a brilliant idea and it'll be really interesting to watch that. So I'm looking forward to the, the link coming out for that as well. Aye. Okay. Sure Thanks very much for, for coming on the show, Ross. I really appreciate you giving up your time to come and speak to the listeners and viewers. So thanks for that. No, no problem at all. I'm interested to see. Um, it's obviously a different, a different approach for yourselves as well. So hopefully it gets a lot of interest. And um, thanks very much for inviting me on. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide.